Okay, there it is. Lament. Intro to Shepherd's Staff to teach and to bind. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Your Lord laws endure to this day. All things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for they, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me. But I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see limit, but your commands are boundless. All right. Over there, Hediko. Behind you. There you go. Um, let's see here. We got this. You know, this. verse 90 is one of the five verses that doesn't have a reference to the word. To the word. There's only a couple of them in the whole psalm. 176 five. verses. Five verses don't. Yeah, yeah. But some, uh, some it is implied, even though it's not actually there. Um, okay, so we have some prayer requests. John Carrico, Burke's son, uh, 53. Yeah. Not 52. Um, has uh, went through his first chemo last week, and he's got another one coming up for it's colon cancer, right? Right. Okay. And then uh, Justin, the boy that had the kidney kidney transplant, I mentioned him a few weeks ago. He was doing very poorly. Uh, he's way better. So we want to just thank the Lord for that. What happened is the blood pressure medicine was harming his recovery. Wow. They had a, a medicine that was reacting and uh, they forgot to give it to him one time. And if they didn't forget to give it to him, they wouldn't have known this. They would have just kept giving it to him. So, uh, and he would just not recovered. So somebody forgetting to give it to him actually Safety. brought him through. Yeah. They admitted their protocol was wrong. Their protocol was wrong. Hey, hey one man, size it does not fit all. It came out for just the good. So we're happy about yeah. that. Uh, Rob needs Jesus. He claims to be a deist, which I found when somebody claims to be a deist that they really aren't. Um, but uh, I, I can explain that. It takes a while to go through it. But anyway, uh, uh, he now has physical and mental and emotional issues, and he and his wife, Dawn, need prayers. So keep them in prayer. Um, and he's actually, for the first time ever, agreed to let people pray for him. So that's a good thing. But uh, uh, anyway... Um, Jocelyn's mother continues to do well, but she needs continued prayers. So we got those prayer requests today. And let's see, we'll go to, today is the, anybody, 16th, 18th, 12th, what? 19th. Oh, duh, it's my daughter's birthday. <laughs> Hello. And my little tangerine who, I was, I was holding her in my arms yesterday. And today she's 36 years old. That's how quickly life goes by. That's how quickly life goes by. Uh, what's that? Yeah, she was just the cutest little thing. Oh yeah, no, that wouldn't happen. That no. I, I tell you, what a marvelous young lady she is. I tell you, when she was probably let's see, my uncle needed his entire sewer line replaced one year. It was old cast iron pipe. And uh, it was it needed to completely be redone out from the house to the uh, to the where it ties into the neighbors. And uh, there was one part that was probably 450 pounds, and 
she got right into that hole with me, and we pulled that thing out. I And she couldn't have been 16 years old. She is the toughest little male you've ever seen in your life. Anyway, that's my girl. The what? Yeah, takes after mom. That's true. Um, okay, let's see. Here. January 19th. Uh, he had walked in their shoes until the night he sold them. The son of a saloon keeper, Mel Trotter, had learned bartending from his father when his dad was too drunk to pour a drink at the bar. As a young man, Trotter had resolved to escape the saloon, leaving home to take up barbering. Unfortunately, he was so successful as a barber that the income gave him the opportunity to gamble and drink as well, um, at will. Trying to escape big city temptations, Mel Trotter moved to Iowa about 1890 and managed to stay sober long enough to marry. But his wife soon discovered that she was married to an alcoholic. He repeatedly vowed to straighten out his life, once staying sober for 11 months. But even the birth of a beloved son could not keep him from drinking. After, a, after one 10-day binge, Trotter returned home to find his wife weeping over the dead body of their two-year-old son. Trotter left his son's funeral for a saloon. He then hopped on a train for Chicago, running from his failure from alcohol and from the certainty he couldn't conquer his addiction. He knew his life was running out, but he resolved to end it in anonymity. I know. I just Once you get it in your head wrong, you can't write it. Okay, yeah, it is. The night of January 19, 1897, homeless, hatless, and coatless, Mel Trotter sold his shoes for one last drink before planning to commit suicide. The alcohol barely warmed him as he trudged barefoot through a Chicago blizzard trying to find Lake Michigan so he could drown his sorrows forever. Passing the darkened business on Van Buren Street, Trotter stumbled. A young man stepped out of the doorway of the only lit building, helped Trotter up, and invited him inside. Trotter followed, too numb to read the sign over the door, Pacific Garden Mission. The man sat Trotter down in a warm room full of derelict men. The mission superintendent, Harry Monroe, was in the middle of his evening message, but broke off his comments when he saw Trotter. Monroe felt compelled to pray aloud, Oh God, save that poor, poor boy. Monroe then shared the story of his own troubled life before he had met Christ. Jesus loves you, he concluded, and so do I. He wants to save you tonight. Put up your hand for prayer. Let God know you want to make room in your heart for him. Barely understanding what he was doing, Trotter raised his hand. Something inside him rose up and accepted the invitation in simple faith, and in that moment, the shackles of alcoholism and despair fell away. Trotter spent the next 43 years ministering to the men and women he met on the streets. As lost and hopeless as he had been, his message was simple. God loves you in the midst of the deepest failure and despair, and his love has the power to change even the most ruined life. He was ordained in 1905 and for 40 years served as the supervisor of a rescue mission in Grand Rapids, Michigan. <clears throat> Alumni of his mission founded 68 other rescue missions across the United States, and Trotter became an international evangelist. That dark night in Chicago, Mel Trotter's life didn't end, it began. Have you ever struggled with an addiction, whether alcohol, drugs, sex, or something else? God is in the business of delivering men and women from addictions. He did it for Mel Trotter, and he can do it for you.
Psalm 40, verse 2, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the healing power of Jesus and the gospel that uh, he provides because of his shed blood. And we just thank you that uh, people are, even to this day, responding to that wonderful word and having changed lives and changed directions in their lives. And Lord, we uh, thank you. We pray for the people that uh, we mentioned earlier and we lift them up to you. And we certainly thank you for uh, Justin, who's doing way better, that his kidney has finally uh, settled in and it looks like uh, he's he's doing well. So we next pray for his salvation and that he'll uh, make a commitment that'll last a lifetime and that maybe he can tend to other people who have had the similar type of uh, circumstances in his own life. Lord, uh, we pray for this class, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how precious it is and how deep and complex it is that we can study it forever and never come to the end of it. We just just revel in your word from day to day and from week to week and throughout the year. Thank you for this word, and we love you, Lord. We thank you for all you do for us and how good you are to us. Thank you for this beautiful day in sunny Sarasota, Florida. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And wasn't it a nice day in Sarasota, Florida? Oh, my goodness. I kept saying how, how marvelous it is. How my, Looking at the wind coming from the southeast across the bay all day, and it felt so nice. It wasn't cold. It wasn't hot. It was just so nice. Oh, you go outside, and you're not sweating when you work, but you get warm enough where it, it, just everything. It was just one of those perfect days that God has given us uh, while people up north are Sorry, folks. Just give it another 10 days. I know. We'll be back, back to yeah, that, we'll be so. back to 900 degrees, and they'll have these 70-degree mornings and 75-degree <laughs> days, and we'll be like, I'm moving up north. So, yeah, I'm, I don't ever mean to pick on the people in bad situations. You know, I got to tell you, though, this one lady, she is such a wonderful lady. She sends me all these neat things all the time, and we talk, and uh, we've prayed for her son, Brian. He's in the uh, federal penitentiary here in Florida. And uh, she sent me just a very short video, which I appreciate. Anything longer than two minutes, and it causes me stress. But short videos are okay. She sent me a, a video of how cold and how quickly it got cold in Buffalo. A guy's walking around chipping seagulls out of the frozen ground. Whatever you call it. Well, it's where the, the lake picked up all that water and remember the houses were all just like right. solid blocks right. well the seagulls were just sitting there in their little things trying to stay warm and they literally froze to the ground this guy's chipping them out and getting them free if he didn't do that they'd all all these seagulls would be dead so i you know i'm glad we're in florida i can take a 95 degree summer day with 900 percent humidity instead of that i wow but it was very nice to see that guy doing that. What a blessing. I'm sure that that was a uh, perfect example of no good deed goes unpunished. Oh. Sure he got pecked. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I, I'm sure he did. Well, that happened to me. I was uh, I was at the mall about a year and a half ago, and these night herons that come to eat every yeah. morning, one of them was flying away, and there was uh, somebody was fishing back there, and the fishing line was hanging from the tree. And... Uh, it flew away and it wrapped around its leg as it was flying away. And there it was, swinging upside down by one leg. Yeah. Then I went to take him off of that and I got pecked really good. <clears> I mean, he, 
he took care of me. But he seemed to appreciate it when he was finally free. I think he was thinking I'm going to have dinner with him. But sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. But once I let him go, he seemed very, very happy to be gone. Okay, we are in um, uh, the book of Colossians. We're in chapter three. And, uh, yeah, verse 23. So you go back wherever yeah, you need to. Yeah, let's go back to uh, rules for Christian households. We'll All right. start with that whole thing. So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Oh, oh yeah, that did end there. I, I, I saw it. and I, I could keep going. If no, you and, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So it's almost identical. And 24 right there, I just kind of wasn't paying attention to the... Uh, verse change so okay let's see here um yeah okay um continuing on with his words to bond servants paul now tells them and we talked about that last week i don't want to make a one-to-one comparison and somehow change the bible but if you just take your job as an employee and put it in to this because they didn't really have the same structure of society that we do today but if you're an employee you should be giving your all to the people you work for okay and if you don't want to do that if you got a crummy boss or whatever quit you're under no obligation to stay there they are giving you the grace of a paycheck so there you go so continuing on with his words to bond servants paul now tells them quite clearly that whatever you do do it heartily in the comparable passage in ephesians 6 he told them that they were to be doing the will of god from the heart The two thoughts mean essentially the same thing. The heart is to be actively willing and eager to perform the required functions necessary to please God. If bondservants fear God, as it said in verse 22, then they will naturally do their work hardly. Okay? That's just the way it is. If you have an awareness of God around you and you care at all, then you will do things that are proper and right in the presence of the Lord. Okay, obviously there are people out there that uh, they may know God is out there. They may know that they are accountable to the Lord, and yet at the same time, they may just not care. And there's, I think there's a lot of people like that in the world today. They think that I'm good enough and it doesn't matter, and so they just let it go. And uh, I assure you that there are some people in Congress that we see like that every day. They think that they are A-OK when they're just so morally, the reason why I bring them up is because they are uh, uh, in the light, the limelight all the time. And they're the ones that are making decisions for other people. And they're doing it under supposed, you know, good graces of God, when in fact what they're doing is exactly the opposite. And they just don't care. Um, Having said that, before we go on, our representative, Greg Stubbe, fell from his roof and he is in Sarasota Memorial Hospital. So, uh, keep him in, uh, yesterday. Uh, he, the uh, UPS or the FedEx guy found him laying there. He fell off of uh, Yeah, yeah, it was a long way down. So um, I know another guy that fell off of his roof out on Siesta Key, but he happened to land on his feet. Um, yeah, so um, anyway, he is in Sarasota Memorial Hospital, and so keep Greg Stubbe in prayer. Um, he, 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 I don't think anything is life-threatening there, but he is damaged. So, uh, no, 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 27 feet. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Well, I. Yeah, he's doing okay. I didn't read anything negative as far as like he's in a life threatening or he's in ICU or anything like that. I went to several sites and they all seem to kind of generally say he's okay, but he's he's banged up. So yeah. Okay. Paul then continues to explain this with his next words. Okay. I'll go back and say what I said because I I got it off on a tangent. If bond servants fear God, as it said in verse twenty two then they will naturally do their work heartily. Paul then continues to explain this with his next words. The duties of a bondservant are to be conducted with a friendly and agreeable attitude because it is as to the Lord and not to men. Keep thinking of yourself and your job if you're a, you know, a paid employee. If you're the boss of the company, then you have to deal with it on the other side. Okay, But if you're a paid employee, you want to do your work as to the Lord and not to men. It doesn't matter that he's your boss. Ultimately, you are reflecting on the name of the Lord Jesus if you call yourself a Christian, okay? And so there is an extra accountability for you to keep in mind, okay? This work is actually to be done to the Lord. We may have earthly masters over us, but we are first and foremost servants of the Lord. It is to treat, it is to him that we are to uh, be fully accountable in all aspects of our lives. And when you're that way, I remember when I was back at the um, Siesta Key, I went to Alaska and mined gold, and then I came back and I, I worked on a, a apartment complex across the road for uh, almost a year, maybe a little less. And then I started the business over here um, with the Thai folks. And then after that, uh, I went back to the wastewater business and uh, they needed somebody. And I said, I'll uh, go ahead and uh, uh, have them uh, help them out. And so I went to the wastewater place and they would see me and they'd always pick on me because, you know, I wasn't cussing like them and I wasn't doing all the things that they were doing. And they could see this, you know, and they would also try to trip me up as much as they could. Um, but uh, the main point of it is that they would, you know, kind of make fun of it. But anytime one of their lives was in a disaster they would come to me. Right. That's right. And so they understood that there's uh, uh, a difference between all of the other guys and the one that is properly serving the Lord. And I'm not saying that I was, that's just how they perceived it. If I was, that's, you know, great, but I'm not trying to brag that or anything. I'm just saying that anytime they had a problem, they would come to me and they'd close the door and say, Charlie, I need to talk. Okay. So um, it, there is ultimately the Lord who we are accountable to. Even though we have a boss, a master, whatever, it's the Lord that we should be trying to honor above all else. As noted in the uh, previous verse, we don't have slaves or bond servants in normal society today, but we do have employers over us to whom we are to submit. And the reason remains the same. We are representatives of Christ, and thus people will make their evaluations of Jesus based on our actions, okay? That's just the way it is. That's how people are going to gauge it, and uh, so anyway, you uh, take that for what you will, but if you are out there acting, you know, crazy at work, then that is the impression that they are going to have of, of Jesus, because you are his representative, all right? Life application, why do you feel you are serving when you go to work? I'm sorry, who do you feel you are serving when you go to work? A crummy boss? A greedy company? In the highest sense, you're serving the Lord. Therefore, perform your duties to the highest of your capabilities, knowing that he will reward you for your efforts in glorifying him. 
okay? If you want a job where you don't have to do anything at all and you will get a paycheck and they're not going to fire you no matter how much you do and how badly you do it, and when I say how much, I mean how much negatively, just go out and get a job at Sarasota County, okay? If you get into the utilities or any of the utilities in Sarasota County, you want to be an electrician or whatever, you go out to Sarasota County and you can pretty much get away with anything, probably inclusive of murder, and they're not going to fire you. They are not going to do it. And that's why we have very high rates. We have very poor service in the area. And this is anywhere, any governmental, I just happen to know Sarasota County because I know employees in Sarasota County, that there are people that absolutely refuse to do their job. They were hired to do the job. They refuse to do their job. And instead of firing them, what do they do? promote them. Well, they, that's one of, that's one of the ways that they do it because if you promote them up into a salary position, then they can get rid of you. A lot of people know that game though and they won't take it. There are people that are sitting right now every day in the administration building out on uh, Cattleman Road at a desk doing nothing all day every day. And the county will not get rid of them because they're afraid of being sued, they're afraid of uh, somehow being, you know, uh, blamed for something and so this is the type of attitude that we have in the world is that i can do whatever i want or as little as i want and it doesn't matter you know what there are people that are dependent on you to make sure that you're they can turn on the tap and have water or when they flush the toilet it will actually go somewhere and not destroy the environment okay there are people that are dependent on you for certain things to happen that sarasota county is responsible for you try that at FPL, which is a private company, and you'll last about two minutes, okay? But um, this, is, this is the way that the world is going, and people don't care about themselves. They don't care about their employees, but more than everything else, they do not care about the Lord. And when that happens, society breaks down, and we see that in all kinds of different ways, not just governmental, but we see it, school is basically government anyway, but we see it in the schools. We see it uh, just pretty much everywhere is because we have lost a fear and respect of the Lord and our position in the Lord, it no longer matters to people. And that's a sad place to be, but that's where we're at. So uh, you have to be different. Even if they are getting paid for doing absolutely nothing and you have to pick up their slack, that is what you should do because you are the one that is representing the Lord. I know a very strong Christian that works for Sarasota County, and he works diligently, despite being the only person in a shop that's supposed to have about seven people. He's pretty much alone there, and he does all of the work, and he, he's on call constantly. He's always stressed because of the work, but he believes that he is to do the right thing. He could do exactly like they're doing and get paid for doing nothing, but he won't do it. So Probably works to the bone. To the bone. Literally. Verse 3, 24. <laughs> okay. All right, let's see. Where are we now? 24, the one where he's left off. Okay, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Okay, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So there you go. They kind of jumbled it jumbled around, it, but yep. same basic thing. Okay, let's see here. 324. Um, this verse, you know, I typed a uh, Acts commentary, uh, what was it, two days ago? It, I, this doesn't happen very often, but there was a commentary that I typed, I think it was not yesterday, but the day before, 
and uh, I just can't wait till it publishes. Unless the Lord comes first, and it doesn't make any difference at all. But I got to tell you, there are certain things you see in the Bible, and you think them through, and you think, wow, I really want people to know this. Yeah. I just came to mind. I don't know why. Maybe because whatever. Okay, 324. Um, this verse is still being addressed to the bond servants. It is a close parallel to Ephesians 6, verse 8. Let me take you there. And let's two books do parallel quite a bit. Oh my gosh, they just overlap in the most marvelous ways. Okay, Ephesians, what did I say? I think I said 6, verse 8. Okay, here we are. No, yeah, it's almost parallel, is right. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Okay, as a slave, this is the very last thing that they would ever dream of as coming from their owner. The very nature of being a slave is that they were property and had no rights to any inheritance. Not only no rights to any inheritance, but they had no rights to question anything. What is the parable Jesus uses? And nobody questioned him. Nobody said, oh, that's a terrible thing or it's wrong. They just accepted that's the way it is, is when he said, you know, um, the slave has been out working all day and uh, the master comes home and he says, uh, I guess I can't remember exactly, but the slave wanted to eat. And he says, well, first you uh, take care of me, get my dinner, you know, go turn on the TV for me, get the bath ready. <laughs> I'm uh, obviously, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm paraphrasing Charlie Gears paraphrase, but um, he says, and then you take care of yourself. And nobody questioned Jesus and said, well, that's not right. How dare you talk that way? It's just the way of the world. Right. This is the way that things were. And it sh is the way that things should be in a normal work environment as well. Your boss has the right to tell you, you know what? You signed on to this job. You said that you would do these things, and if you're not going to do them, then you can leave. But if not, then I want you to do those things before you sit down and have your lunch, because lunch doesn't start for 20 minutes. So you take care of this place first. Um, and that's just how things should be in the work environment, okay? And, you know, nowadays you see people. I was watching a, a, a thing on TV about two or three years ago, and these people were being interviewed up in Washington state and they're saying well you know your your boss uh do you think that he you should make as much as he does and all of them said basically the same thing absolutely he has no right to make more than i do <laughs> and he said well he is the one that saved his money that invested in a company that could have gone under the first week or it could have been successful he took his livelihood and he started this business. And they tried to explain to these people in very basic terms that this person has put everything of his existence Risk. on the line. And therefore, he has a right to earn more than they, and they couldn't see it. They they couldn't see. You start your that, own company. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, go. just go. But unfortunately, you're in a place like that. And that's all you get, right. okay? You're in a, in a place where people have that mentality because of the government that's over them, the type of government, the people around them, and so they think that's just the way things should be. But that's not the way things should be. If you are the one that takes the risk, Adam Clark gave a, a great example of productivity. I think it was Adam Clark. He said, if you are a person that is with other people and you go to a new land, and it's never been settled before, okay? And you get to that land and somebody sits down and takes two rocks and starts banging them together and makes a spearhead out of it. And then he gets, uh, you know, he, he gets a reed and he puts the, the spearhead on a reed and he gets some uh, something and ties it together and he spends his time making it. Then there is no doubt and there should be no question in anybody's mind that that belongs to him. Right. 
It didn't belong to anybody before. His productivity went into it, and therefore he is the rightful owner of it. But there are people in this world that would say, that is mine. Despite the fact that they had nothing to do with it, they did not have the skill to make it, they didn't have the, the gumption to get up and do it, and yet they will argue that because it exists, they should have it. And this is the problem with the world that we're in, is that people do not understand the concept of getting up, putting on your boots, and going out and actually being productive in the world. They, they, they can't comprehend it anymore. They think that they are owed the boots. They think that they are owed the bed that they sleep in before they put on the boots. They think that they're owed the ride to get to the job and everything else. Free. It, a very, very sad world that we're in where people cannot properly function the basic ideas of economy, of, we'll say capitalism, as you know, rude as it is to say that word in today's world. I mean, there are things that people have to be able to process properly, and they can't even do that anymore. Anyway, um, Paul tells the slaves that, I better go back, the very nature of being a slave is that they were property and had no rights to any inheritance. Only a family member would receive such things. If there were no family members, the owner's possessions would still go elsewhere, the slave included. The slave would not inherit anything, and he would be a part of the property that transferred to somebody else. This is the way that the world was set up, and the Bible never questions this. It never interferes with it, okay? I understand that Christians are the ones that stopped slavery in America and in Britain. They are the ones that ended this practice. But that was because they are Christians, and they believe that men can, you know, get along harmoniously without that type of a structure in the system. But slavery has always existed in this world. It exists today in this world in non-Christian nations. It's flourishing in Africa and in the Middle East, okay? And people turn a blind eye to it because that's Africa and the Middle East. But if somebody from America were to go over there and buy one of those people and bring them to America, it would make international headlines everywhere because it's wrong that they would do that or even think doing that, okay? This is how things are. But um, the slave would be included in the sale. He would simply be transferred as a part of the owner's wealth to someone else. But Paul tells the slaves that they were to conduct their duties in the fear of God because they would, in fact, receive the war reward of the inheritance. This is a slave that has spent his entire life probably born into slavery. Like in the book of Romans, the guy's names are Quartus and uh, uh, Secundus and what's the other one? Tertius. These people were born as slaves probably. Right. They were born as slaves. You're number two. You're number three. You're number four. And that's the name they had for their whole life. They served in a person's house and they died in that person's house. Okay. But Paul is telling these people that lived in that type of an environment that they would receive their inheritance. And imagine this. Imagine the fairness of God, that these slaves that honored their masters, that did exactly as they should, and above all, they honored the Lord by honoring their masters, may have greater rewards than their own master, who is also a Christian, who they served their entire physical life. Now for all eternity, these people will be in a greater position of rewards than the master they served. That's the fairness of God. Okay, all rights will be right, all wrongs will be righted, everything will be made as it should be. Eliezer of Damascus wrote ahead of point, uh, Eliezer of Damascus, Abraham weren't inherited everything to him. Right. But he was his slave. Right. So like an exception 
to the rule well, because it, he had no children. That's right. It, it was possible. He said he's the only one that could inherit it. He was, no they had, yeah, they had come into the land. There were no, uh, no other no people that he was, okay. yeah. Whereas in Israel, there's always somebody that you, it'll, always a cousin. Right? Always. That's 800 of them. Yeah, Rhoda's got, that's right. Uh, but not only that, there's always, we went through this in the book of Numbers as far as the structure of society. Um, when we were doing the five daughters, Mala, Hoglad, Terza, um, anyway, um, when we went through that, there is always going to be, up to the tribal level itself, there will always be somebody that is within the line of inheritance. There will never be a time in Israel where that was lacking. And so uh, that was one of the points. That's one of my favorite subjects from the book of numbers was those five girls they were brought up two to three times actually one time they were mentioned which always tells you something's coming when they mention somebody out of the blue like that and then all of a sudden they come forward with their dilemma and then the tribe comes and they said well if you do this then we're going to lose our inheritance and so it's marvelous how the lord structures those things and now they're being mentioned again in the book of joshua to close out that Okay, it's one of my favorite stories because it shows that there's nothing left undone in God's economy. Everything has a purpose. Everything has an order. And there's nothing like, oh, here's a contingency. And if that doesn't pay off, then there's no resolution to it. There's never that with God. There is always fulfillment of every need. And all of these are examples to show us that for those who are in Christ, there will never be a lack. There will never be a catch where the devil can outsmart God, anything like that, that will never happen. Okay, we can be as assured of that as anything else because the Old Testament is showing us these types and these pictures of Christ and of our salvation in Christ. And why wouldn't a slave, in the worst of conditions, find that to be the best lifesaver ever? Absolutely. It's like, okay, so sure, I'll, I'll do it for you because none of this is worth it. None of this is worth it anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely yeah. right. Okay, that's kind of touching on a different concept, but the same thought process of that commentary I typed it's a couple just days the ago. Side of the coin. Yeah, that's all. It's Marvelous. Receiving end. Yep. Yep. Okay. Abraham said to the Lord, "This Eliezer is the King James." Right. 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 You know, it was almost like a derogatory thing. You know, he's not deserving. Of yeah, it. I'd have to look at the Hebrew to see if yeah. King Jimmy was right or not, yeah. but. Um, I, I mean, it may it may say zot zot Eliot. So, do you know what it says there? I don't know. Okay, yeah. Let me know what it says. But it, it may be, or it may just be the formality of the English language. So, unless I looked at it, because it's been what eight years since we were in Genesis, or nine years, and so I'd hate to. But you're right. I mean, if that's correct, it would be kind of like. A, but he'll check it and he'll let us know what it says. Um, uh, Paul tells the slaves that they were to conduct their duties in the fear of God because they would, in fact, receive the reward of their inheritance. Paul speaks of the inheritance of the saints quite a few times in the books of Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. Likewise, the author of Hebrews, as well as Peter, speak of the inheritance of the saints. This promise is not only to those who are free in this life, but it is to be shared with those who are slaves as well. Together, all serve the Lord Christ. So as I said, a slave may be above his master and the, the, or it may be that his master is going to get chucked into the lake of fire and then he's going to spend the rest of eternity thinking, my slave is in glory and here I am in this punishment. You know, we don't know. You got it there? No. 
Yeah, it is. What does it say? Only King James does that. Only, only King James. Doesn't, and Hebrew doesn't have the word this. Okay. So who, it's just, it says who he is. Oh, okay. Who is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's just a reference to him. So the King James was just being this proper formal English, oh. which does not reflect the Hebrew. And unfortunately, you know, it just, it, it, you kind of get misdirected sometimes with the King James because it just, it's not a very, I, I know I'm going to get some angry emails on this, but it is not a good translation. If people are scared to say this, they're afraid to say it because there's so many people that love the King James Version. It's great. It's got great poetry in the Psalms. The structure of the Psalms and the structure of some of the language is great. But the translation itself is really not that good. Okay. It's uh, Thou's jest. What's that? Thou's Thou's jest. jest. <laughs> Dost thy not? Okay. Um, so uh, there is one heavenly master for all of the redeemed. And all will share in his inheritance. All. All redeemed. The share of each will not be based on earthly position, gender, race, or any other such thing. Rather, it will be based upon what was done for the Lord in faith. That is where you are going to get your rewards and your losses. If you go out and do nice things and you're not doing it in faith for the Lord, I'm sorry, there will be no reward for it. And if you are doing things in faith for the Lord, you will receive your reward, okay? Everything has to be done with the Lord in mind. And if the Lord is in your mind, then everything will find its place. It will be rewarded. Eternal rewards lie ahead for all, but they are, uh, if they are but willing to pursue them now, okay? And that goes right to Hebrews chapter 11. Every single thing that it talks about there is preceded by what? By faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Rahab. Okay, it doesn't matter if she's a prostitute. Makes no difference. By faith, she did this thing. She will receive her reward for it. The Lord is not going to hold our past over our heads and say, well, you are this, and therefore, he's going to say, you had faith in this, and therefore. And that's the standard that he's going to use. He's going to use Jesus Christ as the measure for our justification for our sanctification, for our salvation. And he is going to use our faith in Christ and what God has done for everything else. That's how, it's right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That is where it defines what we will receive our rewards for. Let's go there again. I know I do this often, but we might as well just take a moment and do it. 1 Corinthians 3, go to verse 9, and it says there, 1 Corinthians, yes, okay, 3. And then nine, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building, according to the grace of God which was given to me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But what is the foundation? He says, but let each one take heed how he builds on it, meaning the foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. If that's the foundation, then everything is based on that. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through yet so as through fire okay so there you go you've got the standard jesus christ and he says that all of these things will be rewarded or taken away based on that standard 
Okay, well, what does Jesus Christ do us at this point in time? Is he sitting here? Do we see him? Where do we hear about Jesus Christ? Right there. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Therefore, anything that our lives, works, and deeds are judged for will be based on faith in Jesus Christ because he's not sitting here. We can't honor a Lord that's physically here like we would a earthly master. And so it is faith in him and what we are doing for him that is getting or being taken away rewards. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, verse 9 again, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and also I also trust are well known to your consciences. Okay, so he's telling us that what we do here, what we do is to be based on faith, faith in Christ, faith in what he has done. And, uh, you know, like, well, I was reading this commentary about this guy here a while ago, mm-hmm. not, the, not Trotter, the guy that got saved, but the guy that was preaching in the, the hall. He's preaching to a bunch of drunk people. I mean, where's the fun in that? Right? He probably had eight or nine people sitting in this place and he's sitting there telling them that. That is a guy of faith. He's not out there trying to make millions of dollars on TV. He's in a little mission in a side alley in Chicago. That's a person that's going to receive great rewards. Doesn't matter what he's doing in this life as far as, ooh, look at how great I am and I've got a Bentley and all this kind of stuff. It makes no difference at all. It's just nothing. But that guy has faith. He's willing to endure through, and you know what? He probably was not even living off of that mission. He's probably a guy that has a job during the day and the mission is something he does during the evening because a mission like that is not going to support itself unless a church is funding it, okay? Where is he getting his money from? He's either getting it from a church that's telling him, we'll pay for you to talk to these people, or he's doing it out of the love of his heart, and it is being funded by him going to work during the day, making money, and then spending his nights preaching to people that he used to be. Okay? That's a person of faith. Very, very wonderful. Just to even think about that. Um, Yeah. Let's see here. Okay. Life application. Don't fear that your position or status in this life somehow drives your future inheritance in heaven. People say that, you know, I appreciate when people say things like this. They'll send me an email and they'll say, you're going to have great rewards in heaven, you know, because of the sermons I type or something. And I always think that really has nothing to do with it. Right, you you don't get motivated by that, but it's true. Well, You're doing things for the Lord. Right, right. But the point is that if they are living in faith, Mm-hmm. they're doing exactly the same thing that I'm doing. I'm just doing it. I'm teaching you about the Bible, but that doesn't put me in any position that's more special before right. the Lord than that person who's going in as a plumber, is honoring his employer. He's being a good employee. He's telling people about Jesus. He's living his life in faith. Everything he's doing, I love you, Jesus, when I wake up. I love you, Jesus, when I go to bed. Why is he any less important than me? He's not. He's okay. just thanking you for what you're doing. Oh, I understand that. Like, I'm just saying that iron when people... sharpens iron. I understand it. But when people say that, itself. they need to also say, you know what, I'm doing something for the Lord as well. And so uh, they need to not ever put somebody else on a pedestal. Other than what Paul says about, you know, uh, treat elders with double honor, 
double respect, whatever. Okay. Other than that, there's really nothing that ever says that an elder is is any better than anybody else. Okay. Or that it, it, they're not. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it says that teachers will be will have a more strict judgment. Judgment. Sure. That's right. But does not mean that they will have better rewards. I would not think so in any way, shape, or form, because we're honoring the same Lord. What's that? Why do you teach her? Yeah, and that's that's the point that James is making. That's the exact point that James is making. Mm -hmm. Brethren, not many of you should be teachers knowing that you will receive the stricter judgment. He's saying there really is no extra reward out of this. That's the point he's making. You're going to be judged more strictly, and therefore you need to toe the line. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, for Paul, here we think he's... Tell us what's in the book. Tell us what's in the book. That's right. Stick to this. Stay. You know, somebody sent me uh, an email yesterday, and he was talking about um, uh, somebody that he saw on YouTube that was prophesying and, you know, uh, making these claims over people's life on YouTube video, mm. right? And then I thought, well, I'll do some research on this person just for fun. And so I went to the person's website. And that person has been kicked off of YouTube, and the person that's doing it is using that person's name because that person <laughs> used to be famous on YouTube. You talk about people that are dirty, mm. people that are going to be judged. The first thing that came to my mind when I was before I even checked on this person was Jeremiah, the false prophets. Right. People just say things right off the top of their heads, like I have access to the Lord, and what I say will get you a blessing, or will get. And they're they're, as Paul would say, deceivers and being deceived. They, they're deceiving themselves, they're deceiving everybody else. There's no reward for that. There's only condemnation awaiting at the end of that game, okay? And for what? Fame on YouTube? I don't know how you how much you make, even if you have a million viewers, it can't be that much. I mean, I don't know what you make on YouTube for, for uh, uh, ads and revenue and stuff, but it cannot be that much. And you're gonna sit there and make stuff up I just, I can't even imagine it. Anyway, uh, but I, uh, that's, yeah. The same goes for missionaries. Oh, absolutely. You bet you. There are a lot of missionaries out there that have done a lot of really bad things. Once in a while, I'll bring them up in the update. You've heard me do that. They're, they're out there. They, they're getting a free ride off of other people. All they had to do was go out and get people to, you know, think. Scare the word. Yeah. And then they start getting funding and they don't do anything with their lives. And they go overseas and they party it up. And absolutely, this is this is something that we have a problem with, not in this church, but somebody that is in this church that deals with missionaries that uh, uh, has heard something about a missionary that's being recalled because of wrong conduct. And this is not uncommon. It's as common as you know, wind gusts in a hurricane, as I said last Sunday. This, this is just the way it is. So, you know, you want to make sure that what you are doing is not looking at people as if they're some type, somehow better than you. Everybody has got neuroses. Everybody has got uh, difficulties in their life. I don't care how smart a person is. I don't care how wealthy a person is. I don't care how beautiful a person is. Those things don't matter. In the end, we're all pretty much just people that are getting through this life. And the only thing that is going to make our lives better is Jesus. Everything else is temporary, and it doesn't matter. Life application. Did I say that? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, your future inheritance in heaven, it doesn't. Rather than worry about your status here, look to the future by being productive for Christ now. And that doesn't mean by being a deacon in a church or giving a lot of money to a church. It means for Christ it means doing it in your job. It means doing it as a mother. It means even doing it as a grandmother if you have to watch the grandchildren. 
You're telling them about the Lord, living for Christ. That is where your heart and your mind is to be directed all day, every day. Okay. The highest ranking general has the same number of hours a day as the lowest private. What each does with his time for Christ is what matters. Nothing else. Okay. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't make any difference at all here in this earth. What matters is your relationship and your obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. That's it. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And I'm not trying to tell people they shouldn't compliment me because I don't want to embarrass anybody that has. That wasn't the point. I'm saying that they say things without thinking that they can receive exactly the same rewards for being in the job that they have, whether it's plumbing or whether it's uh, working in the medical business or whatever. It doesn't make any difference. If you're honoring the Lord with your life, yeah, no, I won't this time. Okay. Anyway, uh, we're into 325, which right. I think is this the last verse of the chapter? Yes, it is. Yes. And we're, it wraps ooh. up clearly what you just said. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. Okay, this one says the same thing, except instead of favoritism, it says partiality. Okay, well. partiality. All right, so this final verse of chapter 3... And the opening verse of chapter 4 is close in thought to Ephesians 6, verse 9. I might as well take you there, which follows right after Ephesians 6, verse 8, which is surprising because we just read Ephesians 6, verse 8. So Paul must be thinking the same thoughts as he was thinking when he was writing the book to Ephesus, his epistle to Ephesus. See, Ephesians, where am I? Galatians. Come on, Charlie. I'm getting there. I went over, it's such a small book, it's hard to find sometimes. 6, 9. Okay, and you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So you can see the similarity to uh, the thought right there. Okay, as a slave. Oh, no, I'm in verse 325 now. The final verse of chapter 3. Paul has spent the last three verses of instruction on what bond servants were to do. Once again, one last time, I'm not trying to change the Bible, but we don't have bond servants. We have employees and employers. Just think of that in your own position today and what you are to do to be responsible to the person you are getting your pay from, okay? Uh, and how they were to act well under the authority of their masters. He now sums up the thought with something that will point in both directions, from the bond servant's perspective and from the master's by saying, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. Now, you can take what uh, you said about James a minute ago, and you could put that in there, because even wrong instruction is something that you will be judged for, and it may not even be intentional. But uh, if you are analyzing the Bible, and you are improperly analyzing the Word of God, I absolutely assure you that that is wrong. You know, you're, we're not being imputed sin, okay? However, it is sin. It is wrong. It is missing the mark. When you are not trained enough in whatever you are teaching, and you're teaching it incorrectly because you've made a wrong analysis, that is why James is so peculiar about that particular precept. You're not getting anything extra, buddy, but you will lose something because this is the Lord's word. This is the word of God, and you are mishandling it. And like I say, there are obviously people that take it all day long and mishandle it purposefully, okay? I'm going to say that uh, Malachi chapter 4 applies to you. If you'll send your money to this ministry, I'll open the windows of heaven and bless you, 
And the Bible doesn't teach that. First, he's speaking to who? Jews. He's speaking not just to the Jews, but to the nations of Israel. of Israel. He's speaking to them as a nation. He's not speaking to individuals ever in that particular point, okay? When he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, he's speaking to the nation of Israel. That's nothing to do with us. We don't tithe. This is not the Old Testament. There's no such thing as tithing in the church. And yet, these people take this and purposefully pull these verses out of their intended context, and they say, see, God is going to bless you if you do this thing. Those people, if they're saved, will not be receiving any rewards for their great big ministries. And if they aren't saved, they're going to receive greater condemnation, okay, for purposefully maligning and misusing the Word of God. Okay, so, um, uh, where am I? Okay, yes, um, this is certainly speaking of a master. I'll go back and read that. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. This is certainly speaking of a master who would abuse his servant as much as it is a servant not being faithful to his master. He's thinking on the same lines in these verses as he was with the congregation at Ephesus. And the longer thought to them can be inferred in this more brief one. This is the reason why the bondservant is to serve his master heartily. Even if the master is unfair to him, he will be repaid for his faithfulness, and the master will be repaid for his abuses. Okay? As Paul says, there is no partiality. doesn't matter which way you're looking at it, there is no partiality with God. The Old Testament, when slavery was per, you know, perfectly condoned within the Hebrew society, still had rights for the slaves. There were more rights for Hebrew slaves, but even the non-Hebrew slaves had certain rights, okay? If you beat him to a certain point, he lost a tooth. If you beat him to a certain point and he lost an eye, etc., he was to be given his freedom. These things are right there in the law of Moses, okay? A master had a right to beat his slave, okay? That is to be inferred right from the passage, and that is because a master also has a right to beat his child, okay? A slave is like a child in the house. He will never be anything else than that. And the Lord didn't interfere with that, okay? But what does it say in the book of Proverbs? You know, don't withhold the rod, okay? Your child needs correction, give him correction. Now, that's foreign to our uh, society today, but that's what the Bible teaches, okay? And so uh, the Lord allowed certain things, but he would never allow anybody to be mistreated. And there is a difference between the two. Slave masters are accountable to the Lord just as much as slaves are accountable to their masters. Therefore, it is implied that slave masters are actually accountable to their slaves in a certain way, just as slaves are likewise accountable to the Lord. Everybody got that? If this slave master beats his slave and he's accountable to the Lord and he'll be judged for that, then that means he's actually accountable to his slave because his slave is the one that is being watched by the Lord, okay? There's no partiality in the Lord, and all will be rewarded based on their conduct before him. Life application. If you are a boss, the concepts which are true in this verse certainly apply to you. You have charge over your subordinates, and you are to treat them kindly and fairly, okay? A person is hired on Monday, and you promise that you'll pay him every Friday, that means you pay him starting this Friday. That's how it works. If you withhold that, then you are sinning, okay? 
That's just the way it is. Now, obviously, society has taken care of that because they have rules for things like that. But there are people that still try to get away with abusing their employees in one way or another. Okay, that's not the right way to be. And they have legal measures for people to go and to pursue those avenues if their boss is, you know, not treating them fairly. But the Lord would ask you not to go that far to just simply do what you're supposed to do and be done with it. Okay. Obviously, we don't have a lot of Christian bosses and slaves any, or uh, employees in America anymore in comparison to the larger population. But for the most part, if you're a Christian, live by the mandates of the Lord and you will do well. Okay. In this, you will be a responsible Christian and a faithful servant to your heavenly master. Good stuff. Okay. We're in chapter four. Yes. Yeah. Chapter, same line of thought. The what? It's yeah, funny... it's, that's right. The way it just kind of weaves right into it yeah. without really changing thought in the book of Colossians. There we go. Four, masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Which is exactly what he said in 6-9 of Ephesians. Right. He went slaves and masters in one. This is broken up into two. But And maybe that's why, the you know, when the, uh, what is his name, Cardinal Hugo Santo de Caro decided to make this the, uh, uh, the beginning of the, next the beginning of a new chapter is to divide that so that the thoughts are separated. I don't know. Whatever he was thinking, uh, you know, in the book of Acts, one of the chapters actually ends with a semicolon. Right. Okay. <laughs> and in the Greek, it ends just as oddly. So anyway, there are certain things that are a little bit odd in uh, how they were divided. And yet when you stand back and you look at the whole there's real perfection in it. Right. So uh, you never want to question. I, it makes me angry when I see scholars say, well, this really should have ended here and that should be in the next chapter. I don't like when they do that because it's set, it is fixed. It's been that way for 2000 years and I'm not going to question why God allowed that, okay? It's his word. Yes, I do believe that God superintended over the chapter and verse divisions. You know that mm -hmm. there's enough in the uh, enough in patterns in the Word to verify that that is actually something that occurred. So I, it is what it is, and I'm not one to question why it's that way. I I love to think about it, but I'm not going to say, right. well, that's just wrong. And there's always a good reason for it. We went through that, especially in the book of Leviticus, when. People would say, well, this really should begin chapter 23 or something. And I would look at it and I would say, well, here's why it doesn't. And it makes perfect sense, okay, because God is smarter than we are. Anyway, 4-1, um, you read that. Um, I and I didn't check it, but it was very close when you read along. Okay, these words, as I said, along with the closing verse of chapter 3, closely match Paul's words of Ephesians 6, verse 9. Though this thought carries over from the previous chapter, there's nothing wrong, oh, here, we're talking about right here, with dividing the chapters in this manner. It actually gives an additional highlight to the duties of the master in having it divided in this way. They are to be responsible in the care of their bondservants, giving, as Paul says, what is just and fair. The word just is an adjective, which means righteous and impartial. The slaves were not to be deprived of fair hearing over matters simply because they were slaves. But even more than that, there were hired people in Israel at Jesus' time. We know that because of the parable of the uh, people that came to the tenant of the land. And he said, the people sitting around in the morning, and he says, hey, why don't you go out and work for me? And 
they said, okay, what do you pay us? He says, I'll give you a denarius at the end of the day. And they're like, okay, we're going to get a denarius. And so out they go into the field and they're working. Then then he goes about nine o'clock and there's still people sitting around. He says, well, why don't you get out there and work on my field too? And they're okay. And he says, how much? And I'll give you a denarius. And they go out there and 12 o'clock, he does the same thing. And by the end of the day, it's like an hour and a half before closing time. Then he says, what are you guys doing sitting here all day? Well, nobody hired us. He says, well, get out there and I'll pay you what's fair. And then when they come in, what does he do? You guys come here first, okay? And he hands them a denarius. And everybody's like, hey, man, look, they got a denarius. We're going to get more. And then when you get up there, they, they get a denarius. And he says, what are you doing? We did the same job, and you gave them exactly the same as us. And he says, I am the boss. That's my money. I hired you. You agreed to this term. And therefore, that is just and fair. Now take it and go. It's his money. Right. If a boss wants to give somebody a bonus and he doesn't want to give somebody else a bonus, that should not be held against him. Unfortunately, in the world today, it is. But that is the way of the world. He's the one that developed the company. He's the one that decided who performs and who doesn't perform. And from there, he's allowed to do with his money what he wants to do with his money. Okay? This is the way of the world. But people don't like that. They don't, and it's obvious, even in the parallel, I mean, these guys were complaining about it. Mm -hmm. People don't like that. But if they think about it from the perspective of the original contract, which was signed in the morning, they would have no grief and no grumble. And that's the same thing with you going to work on Monday and ending the work on Friday and getting exactly what you were told you would get with nothing more. That's what you agreed to. That's what you get. Have a nice weekend. We'll see you here Monday. I always thought that also related to like when you came to Christ. It's like the deal is the same. That's the point he was making. Right. That's so. exactly the point. He's saying that, that, you know, the prophets are out there and they've been working in the fields for all of the years of Israel's time. And along come people at the end of the time, like the apostles, it didn't do anything. They didn't get their heads cut off. They didn't get stoned. They didn't have to be yet. thrown into a, a dungeon. And yet they're they're being given these glorious positions in the kingdom. Why is that fair? Well, Jesus would tell them, that's not your business. Right. I am the one that set this structure up. I'm the one that laid it out. I'm the one that chose who would, John the Baptist. He's the greatest prophet that ever lived from the beginning of the world. And yet he is not as great as the least in the kingdom of heaven, he says. Why is that fair? It's because that's when he was selected to come into the world. Okay. He's not participating in what happens after Christ is crucified. Okay, he lost his head. How can that be fair? It's because he is God. Who are you to question God, oh man? Okay, no partiality. That, no partiality with God. He will do exactly what is righteous and impartial. The slaves were not to be deprived of fair hearing over matters simply because they were slaves. The word fair is actually a noun. And it is preceded by a definite article. It signifies equality of treatment. And thus it should be translated as the equality. It is not an equality of condition, but a brotherly equality, which stems from the relationship that arises from being in Christ. Though there is an earthly slave-master relationship, there is a spiritual brotherhood, which is to take precedence in the master's conduct. Where do we see that completely fleshed out? Begins with Phi and ends with Lehman. Anybody? The book of Philemon. Okay. Let's read it. It's such a short little epistle. 
it's just a good good epistle to go to once in a while and just be reminded that this is this is Paul living out what he is telling people in other areas of the empire. He's told them to do this. Well, now he's going to live it out. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, our chipu, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the good, by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, and yet, for love's sake, rather, I appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a, for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile also, prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul didn't just write these words to people in Ephesus and Colossae and say, oh, this is what you're to do and not live it out himself. He lived out the things he said, and he was the epitome of what he was writing out. He was saying, I am going to be an example to these people. I'm not just going to write things and then go do something else. Uh, just That's just the way that Paul was, and that's uh, fully evident in the book of Acts. It's in evident in the things that he writes to, say, Galatia, which he could not write if it wasn't true because he's writing to the people he's saying, I did this while I was there. If it wasn't true, they'd say, well, this is, what are you talking about? Throw the letter away. He lived out what he said. Okay, so uh, the word fair, equality. Uh, yes, though there is an earthly slave-master relationship, there is a spiritual brotherhood that is to take precedence in the master's conduct, even so far as releasing a slave now that he's a brother, if 
He is willing. He's not under obligation. Paul made that clear. The reason for this is that the believing master knows that he also has a master in heaven. It goes right back to what we talked about in the previous verse. Christ is treating, Christ has treated this master of others in the most caring and compassionate manner imaginable. He has also shown him the epitome of righteous treatment. Further, he has bestowed upon him the equality par excellence, raising him to the same level as any president or king who has been saved by Christ. This equality of the brethren is to thus be bestowed upon believing bond servants. Going back to what I just said, it says, Christ has treated this master of others in the most caring and compassionate manner imaginable. That master did not deserve to be freed from his sin debt. Christ came and died for him. Christ did what he did. Christ did what he did for that person. Okay? That person now has to remember the lesson of Christ and apply that to his own slave. He has also showed him the epitome of righteous treatment. Who went to the cross? The master or Jesus? Whose sin debt was placed on the person on the cross? Who went into the grave? Not the master. And yet he received the righteousness of Christ in the process. So if he got all of that, then can't he be fair to a person that works for him? That he who's sees every saved. day. What's that? Who's also saved. Yeah, who's also saved, by the way. Absolutely. And as I said, the equality of the brethren is thus bestowed upon believing bond servants. Got to have your thinking right about these things. Now, that's not to say that there aren't Christians that annoy you and that you don't want to be around. I completely understand that. All right. Paul understood that because he and Barnabas did what? They split up and there's no record of them ever having reconciled. Okay, those things happen in life. That's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking, I guarantee you that if he met Barnabas, he would not be, you know, contrary to him when he was with him. He may disagree with him and say, boy, I'm glad to get that over with. And, you know, I hope it's another 10 years before I see him, whatever. But he is going to be proper in his treatment of him, guaranteed, if he did come to him. All right. There, there are things in this world that we cannot overcome, and there are things that we can attempt to overcome, and there are things that we can overcome. And we have to set our priorities, and we have to figure out which is which, and to not make things worse in life for ourselves and for other people. Anyway, life application. As noted in other verses, we have a different societal structure than ancient Rome. Instead of slaves, we have employees, but the concepts remain the same. We are to be fair to those we have charge over, especially to fellow believers. This is because our great master, Jesus, has shown this to us as the example to follow. He set the example we should live by. Something? Oh, I have a question. When you're... Yeah, go ahead. But you're still reading. No, I'm done. Oh, okay. Question. Uh, <laughs> I have a question about what you said earlier about the verses in the chapter. So I'm trying to reconcile to my head. Um, so... If the verses and the chapters were divided only a few hundred years ago, like, I don't know. 1560, yeah. Robert Stephanus. Yeah. And then Stephanus, the yeah. chapters were about 1034 AD by Cardinal Santo okay. Hugo de Caro. So in my mind, my logic is, well, let's say verses were only, what, 400, 500 years ago were divided. So how can I know that the division of the verses and the chapters doesn't have any mistakes um, and wouldn't be similar saying... If it doesn't have any mistakes, then I'll be saying kind of the same thing as King James also has no mistakes. Right. Like, how... yeah. Here's one of the things that I, before you answer, 
is that I've never heard of a chiasm before I started coming here, right? And that actually is the the connector between like you know chapters. Chapters right. sometimes, so like, sometimes. So yeah. I don't know. I've come to say that okay, if I can't answer it, if he can't answer it, and if it doesn't make any sense, it does to the Lord because this is well. Like here's the, why what he's saying specifically. What he is saying specifically here is if King James says this and if um, uh, whatever says this, okay, that is not the same argument, okay? There is one set of chapter divisions, okay? There is one set of verse divisions, okay? Now, the King James Version is going to translate this verse differently, but there is an original translation that is correct, okay? We go by the original copies. Have a great evening, okay? And so... If the King James Version translates something incorrectly, it doesn't harm the original, okay? The original Greek and the chapter divisions and the Hebrew chapter divisions and the verse divisions are set. How they are translated by the NIV or the New King James Version, and they're not exactly word for word, and this word carries over here, doesn't change the original, okay? And so I would argue that what is in the mind of God is a structure like chiasms, but that's it's different because it's doing a different thing. These things came later, but in the mind of God, something is set already. So we know that the book of Genesis comes before Exodus. Okay, when Moses compiled it, they may not have known that. They just said, this is Genesis, this is Exodus. Okay, and then later, Isaiah was added in. But Isaiah comes before Jeremiah, okay? And then you've got the pre-exilic and the post-exilic letters, which are in a certain place in the Christian canon, okay? Even if certain things happened at different times, Jeremiah, you know, for example, Jeremiah is not chronological. It's all over the place. He talks about this, and then something that happened two years ago, he talks about later. So what is happening in the Bible is in the mind of God. That is not going to change. It goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of verse uh, 119.89. Your word is settled in heaven. In God's mind, the word is done. Before he ever wrote the first word of Genesis 1.1, the entire Bible is known to God. Okay, So our taking it and not handling it the way it originally was doesn't change what is in the mind of God. And if he decides to have Jeremiah, which came way, way, way after Joshua to be placed here, that's his decision, okay? And I would say that follows through logically with chapter and verse divisions. And the reason why I say that is, and you've seen some of the patterns, I'm, I'm sure I have, like uh, Isaiah 40 uh, verse uh, 3 matches Matthew, which is the 40th book of the Bible, chapter right. 3, verse right. 3. And they're all over the Bible. There, there, there are so many of them that I cannot find it coincidental, okay? If it was just a couple of them might say, well, isn't that interesting? But when you have them again and again and again, like chiasms as well, all of a sudden you have to say there is a higher thought process going on. And he allowed, as a matter of fact, the first chapter divisions that were uh, selected for the Bible by some guy were rejected. And they would not have made the patterns that we have now, okay? And the Jewish canon doesn't make the same divisions that the Christian canon of the Jewish canon does, right? Chronicles is one book, Kings is one book, Samuel is one book. 
And yet we've divided them and they come out with this structure and this harmony that has always been there in the mind of God, even though it wasn't known until somebody put it into that structure. And so I guess my question is, could there be a mistake in a division? of? The there could be. So I just haven't seen it. Okay. I haven't seen it personally. Okay. If man but was involved. If, yeah, if man is involved in something, there's going to be an error. But the superintending providence of God, like I said, when, when Jeremiah is writing, he's a fallible guy. And yet the book of Jeremiah, we consider as inspired and infallible. And so there are certain things that God is going to say, this came from my mind. I am going to ensure that it is, when it's all done, exactly how I want it. And so and that would have to be the case with Psalm 119.89. Your word is settled in heaven. And the word there is natsav, you know, to stand. In other words, it's erected. It is fixed. It is a pillar. Okay. And so that had to come from somewhere. It came from God. And therefore, there has to be an order and a structure to it that existed in God's mind all along. We're just discovering that. And so people say, well, how do we know that the Apocrypha is not canon? Okay. And there's this great debate over that. And we went through a, a whole semester on that in up at SES is that do we, does, did the church determine that the Apocrypha does not belong in the Bible? Because the Catholic Church has it in their Bible now. They've added it in in 1490, uh, 1492. Uh, no, it wasn't 1492. It was 14, and uh, now I don't remember the year. Anyway, um, uh, they... They added it in later to justify certain things that are unjustifiable. But the Protestant tradition is always held, just like the Jews discovered the word of God. They said, well, these are canon, and they knew it. Within the, the Bible, for example, Jeremiah cites Micah, right? Zion will be plowed by, with, like a field. And so they knew that that was already canon. How they knew, we don't know. But they discovered the word of God. The Christian canon is the same. We did not determine which books were canon. Mm. We discovered it. Mm. Does it have the authority of God? Does it have the power of God? Does it convey the message of God that is in harmony with the rest of it? And so how this process happened is deeper than Charlie Garrett will ever be able to explain. Mm. There are people that go through this and they've spent their whole lives doing that. But uh, it is... Uh, the fundamental difference between the Catholic Church and the Protestant tradition is that the Catholic Church believes that they are the arbiters of God's word. They are the ones that determine, does 1 John 5, you know, uh, these three are spirit, uh, these three are one, the water are the spirit and blood. Okay, we will determine if that is the word of God or not. The Christian, the Protestant Christians would say, God has determined it, we discover it. And that's the difference, okay? Once again, I'm not saying that there is not error in the chapter and verse divisions. I just don't believe there is. I believe that it is divinely inspired because it is a part of the Word of God and it is structured so precisely that with the patterns in there, I just can't see it otherwise. But that's just me. That's not something I say, well, you have to believe that. The Word, the words of the Bible, I say you have to believe that 100%. Thanks for explaining. Yeah. And you, you saying all this makes me think further. Uh, of further, how we can more further discover structures in the Bible that maybe just numbers and verses don't really pertain because it's such a, you know, division of verse. No, right. No and you've already done that. Verse. Yeah, that's with the know, book of Esther. Have, yeah, but today we have 
tools that we can yeah. absolutely more, especially open gpt for example that can analyze all the text and then maybe we can find new structures absolutely put in there that are in there yeah, and you would know how to do that that's why it's nice having somebody like you around because you can discover things though. i would never be able to discover not in a million years and i wouldn't even know how to use that properly i could use you know i used his ai access once and it was fun but I, I don't use it properly. I don't know how to do things like that. I don't have the uh, the wisdom and the, the know-how. Talking just the whole topic here with the hand of God and how it works. The printing press, which was invented in China in the 14th century. The printing press. Well, yeah. And that was that, that's the only reason why you have chapters. Right. Is for that. So if it's going to become something that's going to be passed around to well, that makes sense. Exists, it has to like, come at a certain point in history, right. just like so, it says in the fullness of time, Christ came. Everything it, has to have a logical order right. and a time for it to occur. So that makes sense. And then what is the first Bible that was printed with the printing press? Alexandria. It begins with G and ends with Gutenberg. That's right. Very good. Okay. So it's the Gutenberg Bible. And that's okay. why it's such a valuable thing. There's only sure. a couple copies of it. And was that uh, was that possessing that I don't know. Yeah, uh, that, I don't know when Gutenberg Bible was published, okay. but Robert Stephanus was the right first here. one to find uh, it, it. it was probably with chapters, but probably not with verse divisions, would Robert be my Stephanus guess. In, in 1560. 1560 mm -hmm. uh, he, the first Bible with the chapter, I'm sorry, the verse divisions was the Geneva Bible. Geneva. So everything is taking a step, one step at a time. And, you know, one guy one time said something and we have this debate over this text and this text, okay? Right. And we've got, he said, we are getting closer and closer to knowing the actual true word that was originally out there. It's not that we're getting farther away from it, we're getting closer because we have all of this information which is allowing this, which they've never had in the past. And so they can say 100%, this was later done by a scribe, 100%, this one, and so they are getting closer, not further away. And so someday, you know, the Lord is going to reveal this to us. But in the meantime, we've got all of this this stuff that we can use to determine that. Did you find the Gutenberg no, Bible? I'm going to have to, oh, okay. Well, it is here, but I have to read into it. And sure. we don't have Yes. To... All scripture is given by inspiration. And he counts what for. He, he wouldn't say reproof, correction. That's right. If we weren't to teach it. He That's right. He say, but... Don't look at those chapter things. It's not in there. Absolutely. Right. All scripture. All scripture. Absolutely right. So it's it's there. It is God's word and word, you know, but like I say, if you are to dismiss the chapter and verse divisions, then you would also need to dismiss the structure of the books in the Bible. You say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Luke comes after Matthew. See what I'm saying? If you dismiss one, you've got to dismiss all of them because they're all something that came later. Okay, uh, Revelation didn't come. It was two Peter and Revelation were, I believe, the last two books of the Bible to be canonized. They came later. And so to say that those, we have to question that now. Are you going to do that? Are you going to question that Revelation may not be Scripture because I'm not? I'm 100% I'm not. And therefore, it would be a, a what's the word? A uh, When you say one thing is okay, but another isn't. A side, what's the word? Anyway. Um, okay, we got to finish because we got four minutes left. Um, uh, life application. Let me make sure I read the last of this. We're three, three. Got that. Okay, four, three. Yeah, okay. Let me make a little mark here so I don't forget where I am. 
and then we'll read our life application. Um, this attitude should be the constant part of who we are at all times. Life application. How easy it is to not be thankful. We simply forget about the many kindnesses which come to us. But, yes, we're in, uh, our, we're in 4-2, right? No. Oh, one. I knew something was wrong. Okay, so we're in 4-1. The life application is for 4-1. I knew that wasn't right. We got distracted and I put my paper down when I should have held it in my hand. Okay, um, yes, this is what we're reading. The equality of the brethren is thus to be bestowed upon believing bondservants. Life application. As noted in other verses, oh, I've already read that. This is because our great master Jesus has shown us to us as the example to follow. Be there yeah. or be square. Yeah, I, I already read that, so life application is done, and then we got, oh, Sergio's question. You, that's Oh, no, 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 it wasn't him. He asked, and I said, no, I'm done. So, yeah, it, the question came at the perfect time because we were about to end anyway. We couldn't have gotten another uh, no, person there, so no that way. was perfect time to ask that question. But I'll Could send you that been, link. You what? I'll send you that link. Link that. for what? the Gutenberg Bible. Oh, the Gutenberg Bible. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious, precious word. How wonderful it is to uh, uh, talk about these mysteries that uh, we we cannot be 100% sure about, and yet we can feel that we're right. And uh, Lord, you will correct us where we're wrong. That's one thing that's for sure. Someday we're going to stand before you, and we're going to see the perfect word revealed to us. And we're going to know all of its mysteries, and we'll be searching it for eons and eons. Oh, look at this and how wonderful it is. Look at this beautiful story and how it anticipated what Christ would do. Lord, thank you for this beautiful, precious word you have given us. Help us to treat it carefully and handle it responsibly all the days of our lives. Lord, thank you, especially for what you did at the cross of Calvary. How grateful we are for the relief from the sin debt that we owe and the promise of eternal life because of what you have done. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's see. We're going to put this on break.